Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode four of series six of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. The perennial challenge organizations face of matching the right people with the right roles is becoming even more complex in the age of AI, analytics, and automation. In parallel, an increasing number of companies are turning to a new generation of assessment tools, harnessing AI, gamification, and data science, not just for hiring, but to support areas such as coaching and development as well. My guest on today's episode of the podcast is Uri Ort, who is the co-founder of behavioral insights company Deeper Signals and is an adjunct instructor at NYU. In our conversation, Uri and I discuss the key trends and evolutions in the assessment space. We talk about personalization, algorithms and ethics and how technology is making assessments more precise and less biased. We also look at how to measure the business impacts and outcomes of assessments and also delve into some of the latest research findings on personality and talent signals. And as with all our guests, we look into the crystal ball and ponder what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested in how assessments can support talent identification and development, as well as HR and business professionals interested in how technology is being used to improve hiring and reduce bias. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 6 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. As research increasingly shows how important diversity is for business, companies worldwide strive to ensure their teams are inclusive, productive and remunerated fairly. GATSquare offers employers insightful pay analytics software and assessment, working with global corporations to measure and take action around inclusion and fair pay. Take a look at GATSquare's current framework benchmark your work, and learn where you need to invest your efforts to foster change today. As competition for talent increases, there's never been a better time to accelerate fair play. Learn more, head to gatsquare.com forward slash accelerate. Today, I'm delighted to welcome business psychologist Ari Ort to the Digital HR Leaders podcast and video series. Great to have you. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Would you, can you give listeners a, an introduction into, to, into you and your background and what you're currently involved with, please? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, so I'm an organizational psychologist, and I, um, I specialize in assessment. Um, and so I started my career in engagement assessments, and that was really leading the engagement initiatives. So, you know, how do we take a workforce, a global workforce, and uh, engage them in what they're doing in all different regions and areas. Yeah, um, that's kind of how I got into the engagement space. Um, I then kind of moved. Well, what, what I think what I realized in that work is um, people aren't engaged the same way, right? People are different, and so if we had a workforce, just to you know, to take an extreme example, if we had a workforce in uh, Saudi Arabia and a workforce in Williamsburg, New York, we weren't going to use the same tools and the same strategies to engage them. So that kind of led me to personality, individual differences. How do we look at people and customize and personalize the HR tools that we have to enhance their their day to day and therefore increase organizational performance? Um, and so then I moved to the personality space. I went back to school, um, got trained up in assessments, and now I have co-founded a company that works in talent assessments. And I also teach talent assessments at NYU. Okay. And assessment is a really fascinating area because obviously it's, we hear a lot about it. And obviously there's a lot of technology coming into the space as well and disrupting it a little bit. Um, so we hear a lot about AI and gamification, for example. Yeah. You know, what impact are, are these developments having 
uh, on assessment? And more importantly, what challenges are they helping to solve? Um, okay, well, I'll take the second question first. Yeah, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> what challenges are they helping to solve, I think, is straightforward. And, and that is, you know, the traditional assessment space, you know, I ask you a whole bunch of questions, two, 250 questions, um, and then I get a read on, you know, your future performance or a cognitive ability assessment, right, where I, I challenge you and I get a read on your, your ability. I think that is challenging to the candidate and the candidate experience. And more and more we are challenged by organizations, how do I get the same outcome, the same predictions, um, but in ways that are engaging and that yeah. actually attract talent, right? Because we're <laughs> the dynamic of I have a job and let's see if you can come and get it has completely reversed itself, right? And now it's like, how do we get out there and attract the best talent? And if we have a lot of friction, we're, we'll turn away the best talent because they have, they have the most options. And so I think AI and gamification really both help in creating a, either a frictionless experience, if it's AI, or at least a more engaging experience, hopefully, that would be the goal, a more inviting experience through gamification. So I think that's the challenge that they're trying to, um, to, to solve. Uh, I think in terms of the impact, though, uh, if anything, the AI impact has been uh, predominantly to scare people away. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you want to be honest, right, that has probably been the biggest impact. The idea of there being some kind of you know, algorithm or, I mean, AI, even the word AI is, is challenging to use here. It's a bit of a buzzword, but of there being a machine learning algorithm that's going to predict whether or not I will perform well in a certain job and, the, and I'll use that to make a decision for whether I get the job or not, that's scary. And that turns people away. So it defeats the purpose of attracting talent where you find out that this organization will uh, automatically decide whether they hire me or not without human intervention. I think that's scary. Um, and so I think that the, the impact has kind of undercut what we're trying to do. Um, but there's obviously a lot of opportunity there for mm. enhancing it and for communicating the tools in a better way uh, and for, for using them, actually. Actually using them in a better way so that, so that we can actually attain the goal that we were going for you know, to begin with. And have you seen any really good examples of, of using either AI or gamification in, in assessment? Um, you know, it's just, it talks about experience, for example, that's really sort of kind of supported that kind of frictionless experience. Uh, yeah, well, there are a number of examples out there. Um, let's say HireVue is a company that is doing, you know, you call that AI, right? They use video interviews and then they give you a kind of a black box prediction of performance. Uh, you know, they train the model on future performance based on micro facial expressions. Now, I think that would be the, maybe one of the better examples of AI out there. That's both scary, but also probably accurate in predicting some level of future performance. Um, gamification would be actually, so HireVue just recently purchased a company called MindX. And they do, and I think they do one of the better jobs of gamification out there because you know, gamification has to in, make a more engaging and interesting kind of yeah. experience. Many of the games you see out there, they're actually not. You wouldn't play those games if you weren't on an interview. So if that's what you're doing, you might as well just ask the candidate questions, right? You're not, you're not really you know, helping. Um, so I think games that are actually interesting and fun and that people will use even when they're not in the assessment you know, uh, experience, I think that's the bar we have to reach for a gamification. So. And if we move, so assessment, obviously we hear a lot about assessments and mo mostly people associate assessments with hiring. 
But I know, and, and also you know, that there are many other parts of the employee journey and, and coaching and development that they can be used for. Have you got some good examples of, of, of how that can happen and, and why it's important that we don't just think about them for hiring? Yeah, you know, I think it's a really good. It's actually an area that I'm quite passionate about, right? And if you think about um, the the assessment industry at a high level now, right, the biggest focus is on selection. Right? That, that's where eighty, maybe even ninety percent of the assessment industry is either on selection or maybe coaching at the executive level, C minus one or C minus two, right? Um, however, if you hire the best talent and you can't engage them and you can't develop them you will lose them. And in fact, you'll lose them faster than you'll lose the worst talent because they have the most options, right? Of course. So you spend all this time and money selecting and maybe accurately selecting the best talent and then they're gone the next year. And so it's nonsensical to use assessment and, and essentially understanding to select the best talent and not develop them. And, and you know, personality should be used for more than just a binary prediction of performance, right? The real value in psychology is to help people understand, help them understand themselves, help them understand others, right? And that's really what we can bring to the table to make people's lives better, right? Mm. So, so, you know, you can almost say most organizational problems are people problems. And most people problems are related to a lack of understanding. People don't understand themselves and organizations don't understand people. And so if we bring, if we can bring assessments to the table, be it AI, gamification, or even traditional assessments in a way that's scalable, that everyone can use them and um, help understand their own dispositions better and understand their employees and their teams better, I think we would have a, we'd have a really, really big win. I'm presuming we hear a lot about companies going through transformation at the moment developing new products and new services and they have a challenge identifying the skills that their people have got because they necessarily don't have the data on it. And I guess assessment can be a good way of, of identifying the people that currently got in the organization who maybe already have some of the skills that they're going to need more of. And especially soft skills, right? Yeah. I mean, hard skills are a separate problem. Um, but similarly, organizations often don't know what they have, right? But soft skills... Um, are probably even harder to detect and therefore harder for organizations to understand. You know, I have this team and I really want them to innovate and they are, you know, maybe they're my innovation team, they're my disruption team, and they're just not doing it. Nothing's coming out of the team, right? And and if you can't look at the profiles and understand why, you're really, you're really just blind, right? And if you can, though, if you did have, you know, imagine a world where you had an organization of maybe a large 250,000-person strong organization and you have a dashboard where you can just search, you know, David Green, and you can say, okay, this is where David is really good at. Super curious, super irreverent, disruptive. I'm not going to put him on. Doesn't this. sound like me. <laughs> I'll give you the assessment. <laughs> I think I might need an assessment actually. And and have you got any any good examples of companies that actually are good at doing assessments on people that are currently within the organisation and how they've used that to either move those people forward? And also to support business outcomes as well. Um, well, business outcomes are, are a challenge to identify with these things, right? The, you often hear that whenever you're, so mm. you're in HR, and I'm sure you've heard that before, right? You're trying oh, to launch yeah. a new initiative, be it engagement, or right? And the CFO or the CEO is like, well, what's my ROI, right? Like, that's going to cost me a half a million dollars to implement, and when am I going to see it? Yeah. So I think there's an element of of um, trusting the science here when it comes to measuring outcomes. You, it will take two or three years to mm. see 
a reduction in retention levels and an increase in engagement and for it to hit the stock price. Um, but you kind of have to trust that we've done a lot of research um, and we know that these things do matter. Um, I think it's it's actually hard, you know, it would be hard pressed for me to point to an organization that's using assessments today at scale, at the level that I think is ideal, where everyone understands their profile, um, because most organizations are using assessments at the top of the house. But, but there are, you know, there are a few that I think that do it really well. I think Pepsi does it really well, and that, you know, you get to a certain level and you, you, you take an assessment and you take a more complex or longer assessment as yeah. you get more seniors. I think there are organizations that are doing it. But, but it can be a lot more widespread. It's easy tools that we have at our disposal that I think HR should probably take advantage of. So in short, HR could do better. Yeah. 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 I think HR can do a lot better in this space. Okay. So we're going to carry on playing buzzword bingo a little bit here. So we've talked about gamification and AI. Now we're going to talk about personalization. Um, you know, another much hyped term, but I think a good a good term that we're starting to see more of in HR. Um, and we were seeing it a lot in, in, in relation to new technologies and everyone's talking about bringing Netflix-like technology into, into HR. But how can you personalize assessments so you can help make interventions for, for, for leaders, for managers, for, for workers? I mean, it's interesting because my background is actually, so before I got into psychology, my background is in e-commerce. And so a big part of the focus there is the user interface. How do you convert uh, a browser into a sales or a customer, Yeah. right? And you have all this kind of nudging going on. Obviously, you know, you don't see the same advertisements on Google that I see, right? So our entire world is personalized except for NHR and the workforce, right? There, it's basically one-size-fits-all solutions for everything, right? So we have a ways to go there as well. There's, there's clearly a lot for us to learn from industry. And I think the way to do it is for to use assessments to understand how to personalize. The assessment itself can be personalized, uh, but that's the last thing I think to be personalized. The first thing to do is to give everyone an assessment. Yeah. It's got to be the kind of assessment that's scalable. Uh, and then use it to start tweaking the engagement solutions. It could be everything from my job design to the salary. What motivates me? Maybe I'm really commercially motivated and I need money. Uh, maybe someone else is really purpose-driven. And for them, we can give them a day off a week for the same price to go work you know, in a, a homeless shelter. And, and that will motivate them and, and engage them. So I think the the personalization of job roles, job design, HR initiatives, platforms um, can, can be transformational. If we, again, if we properly understood our workforce on an yeah. individual level, then yes, we have the technology and the tools to personalize almost every single part of the, you know, the work experience. And I guess what it's about, the, the deeper we understand our workforce, the more we can personalize and offer them stuff that's relevant to them, i.e. benefits is the example you gave there. But also, I guess, interventions to help them be more productive, help their performance, help them help their careers within organizations as well. And you talk about AI, right? So, so let's think about, you know, so you, you, you have a problem, right? You have a respect problem in an organization. Let's take the Me Too movement because we're doing buzzwords, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? So you, you're trying to do training on, on respect and, and diversity and inclusion. Um, and so you have this intervention. But if you understand that, different personalities are different, you can tweak the interventions for different groups of people. Some people have respect issues because they um, are too brash, right? They're too bold, they're too, you know, and they, they need to be coached and developed in a different way than people who have respect issues because the opposite, they're 
their personal disposition is to be more leisurely, more withdrawn, more passive aggressive, if anything, right? And if we had tools like uh, like an Apple Watch that had an AI that was nudging us and being, oh, you know, we know your pulse has been up for the last hour. You're clearly upset today and you're anxious today. Why don't you take a deep breath? Be careful when you have your meeting with your direct report early because he's stressed today yeah. and his personality is like this and you want to treat him in a certain way. That's really beautiful marriage between AI and the kind of interventions that we can do in a personalized way. And also, also brain science, right? It's none of these things. Like we're doing it for exercise, right? Yeah. So you've got a company like Apple and Google behind it, and everyone is doing it. And it's like, oh, you know, it's it's eleven forty-five at night, and I didn't finish my circles yet, and everyone's you know running around trying to burn twenty more calories. So we're doing it. We just got to apply it to our field. Yeah, I think it's it's about mindset and opening our minds a little bit more yeah. than maybe we have in the past. Okay, so we've talked about how we're effectively collecting more data to help personalize interventions for employees and hopefully identify what benefits will apply to them more. But obviously, collecting more data, we need to really make sure that we, we gain employee trust. Uh, and the more data we collect about individuals, the more nervous individuals get as well. Um, you know, there are lots of concerns about ethics um, and trust not just in the workplace, yeah. we've seen it outside the, in the consumer space as well. How, how do you believe that organizations can gain and, and manage employee trust with their workforce? I think it's an important question. Um, well, what we've seen outside of HR, what we've seen in the world is organizations collecting an enormous amount of data so we give it to them, right? And a lot of the conversation is, is around what do we get in return, right? How do we give something back to us to make it valuable? Because it is a trade-off. As, the famous line goes, nothing comes for free, right? Yeah. And so I think in organizations, the dynamic is actually a bit different because organizations actually own all of our data or, or a good portion of our data. So when we when we log in at work you know, and we're emailing and we're chatting and, and we have the user interface, we're moving our mouse, all of that information is essentially collected and owned by the organization. Um, and so the key question is in order to get the buy-in so that we don't seem like creeps in monitoring the information and using it to um, increase organizational performance is is the same as industry. We have to give something back to employees so that they feel like they are getting something in the bargain. And I think that really goes back to a lot of the things we've been talking about. If if we make the if as an outcome we make the work experience better for them, we, we help them fit into their job roles and their job design um, better, we give them better salary and benefits that fit their needs. Um, their teams are working better. They understand themselves better. Right? Even if we were really open around, um, you know, this is the information we're getting, and what we've learned about you is this. And the reason why you often come to work on a Monday and feel like you're digging yourself out of a hole is because maybe you're really, really low on diligence, and you can use these strategies to approach that. Um, I think employees would feel more open and. Um, they, they feel like they're getting something in the bargain. So I think, to me, that's where the key is in using this information. We have to genuinely use it to help employees, not yeah. to help the organization, and then everything will follow from there. And it's certainly, um, I mean, Accenture, I don't know if you've seen the Accenture uh, research that they published back in January, I think, uh, around da the Davos um, conference. And they, they actually did a big piece of research, and 92% of employees that responded to it said that they were happy for their organizations to have their data as long as they get something in return. And I think it's that, that trade-off yeah. that you were talking about there. You mentioned around organizations using, you know, owning mostly the employee data. Do you think that might change as we move forward with, with 
Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. So I think, well, I think organizations will always own it, but I think part of that trade-off. So what happens? Think about the career journey, right? And you leave college, you start one role, and then especially these days, three, maybe four years later, you're moving into another role, and you pretty much have that revolving door throughout your career, right? Um, and each organization, you kind of start at the ground floor. You may come in at, with a different title, but your reputation has to be rebuilt. Yeah. Um, and the stakeholder buy-in and the trust that your team and your seniors have in you has to be re rebuilt. I think um, more and more what we will start seeing is owning the the reputation and the performance that you have in your previous organization and taking it with you to the next organization. And as long as we can create some kind of you know, see, uh, consistency of data, be it performance metrics or other tools, um, there was a lot of conversations around this during the, the Bitcoin cryptocurrency, mm. you know, 2018 boom, maybe that has died down a bit now. But there is, a, there is a good application there, right? Where if we can have some kind of consistent language across organizations, then yeah, I would, I would want to own that data, right? What happened to all the great performance reviews and the glowing, you know, maybe it was an employee motivation program or, um, you know, accolades or something that I got from my colleagues. Where did it all go when I left? And so I think we, we, we should aim to, see, to transfer that information to the employee and allow them to take that with them. There definitely seems to be a bit of a movement around the ownership shifting towards the more towards the employee, the individual worker, and then the work the individual giving access to where the organization or organizations they're working yeah, for at the yeah. time access to that data. So it'd be interesting to see how that evolves yeah. over the time. And I know you, you mentioned the, the crypto stuff. I know I've been speaking to people that are kind of heavily involved in blockchain, and they said that potentially is something that could happen with with blockchain technologies that effectively this shift in ownership comes towards yeah, the employees. I think so. And the gig economy as well, right? Mm. And, and you you have lots of, you know, I can't remember the number offhand, but right? a large segment of the workforce is involved in the gig economy at the same time that they are in the traditional workforce, this is, this right? This is true, yeah. And so how do I get that information? I've got now 15 glowing reviews, and in fact, the dynamic is I don't want to tell my manager that I'm doing this work on the side, so I keep it a secret versus saying, well, I have, I have a whole reputation on Upwork, or, and how do I move that into some you know, coherent, language that I can then use it to my advantage. Be fascinating to see how, yeah. it, how it evolves. We're going to talk about another trade-off now. Yeah. So this is the trade-off between using algorithms, because there's a lot of hang-up about algorithms and, and, and everything else. You know, there was the example of the Amazon one that was mentioned yeah. last year. I would say actually kudos to Amazon for actually validating and checking oh, that it, yeah. Wasn't, yeah. it wasn't there. Um, and But we make biased decisions every day as individuals, you know, whether they're conscious or unconscious. You know, again, how do we manage the trade-off between relying more on algorithms to hopefully not maybe eradicate, because maybe that's a bit too, uh, too ambitious, but certainly to, to eliminate or to reduce bias versus, you know, humans making decisions as, as we always have. As well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think a good place to look for the way I think of it as the self-driving car industry. It's a really good place to look for this because there you also have incredible algorithms and huge advancements in making decisions. So it's very similar to the selection process of an AI having to take a lot of data and you know, information and make some kind of coherent sense and make a decision, thousands of sequential decisions. Um, and you still have a human involved in that process, right? And I think, so what you're really saying is augmented, you know, aug augment the human capability with the AI That'll be the. I think that'll be the model for us. If you know, we want, what we want is AI to help us 
recognize bias and correct us, right? We don't necessarily want to move over completely to AI, a black box algorithm that makes all these talent decisions for us, a whole bunch of potential pitfalls there, mm. and may have similar biases, um, which will be hard for us to detect. So I think the best is where we have an, an AI augmenting our capability and saying, well, are you sure you don't want to hire this person? What's your reason? If this is their talent profile, here's their reputation. Actually, my algorithm is saying, you know, she's a go. Um, maybe the reason why you're not hiring her is because she doesn't quite fit your profile of a macho, super confident male, you know, leader. And and so I think that's where we that's where we can best. And, and it, it shouldn't be that hard because the biases, as you know, the HR biases are pretty. Uh, <laughs> They're superficial and easy to to um, to understand the tech, right? It's a halo bias. It's a like me bias. It's a you know so so we can easily program you know, algorithms to detect those and kind of warn us, give us a give us a, a warning flag. And I guess it's also about checking the validity of assessments, checking the validity yeah, of algorithms yes. as well continuously. Yes, I mean I think so. However, no, we don't need AI for that. So that's. That's the critical. So yeah, it's you know we, we need to do that assessments and there's a whole you know a, a whole bunch of tools out there that are being used that are probably you know I'm skeptical of how you know valid they are. So yes, it's mm. super important that we that we do those kind of checks. But those are that's even easier. That's just putting it into a regression model, collecting some data, and checking if there's adverse impact. You know, so yeah, and the onus is on us, really on the organization and HR to really vet a lot of the new tools that are coming out that seem really cool and the UI and the design is, is really exciting, um, but the science has to be really sound as well. and can't just reflect our, our own biases. To do some controlled experiments first before you roll it out across a whole 250,000 person <laughs> yeah, company. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then find out too late that, yeah, you, yeah. yeah. And it's a performance issue, isn't it, as well? So it's, right, it's not just the optics and not just the, li the legal liability, but your goals for the organization will probably be impacted because you'll end up with talent that can't properly perform. There's a reason why DNI initiatives help not just uh, ethnic diversity, but also cognitive diversity. Mm. Right? It's also just the idea, are you going to hire everyone who is one specific type of you know, profile created by one leader? And if you do that, you probably will see an impact on performance. And I guess actually on that, we, we hear again a lot about teams now and you know a lot of work in people analytics who's been done around understanding teams, successful team versus less successful team. And I guess that's something assessment can really help with, as you've talked about, you know, getting a cognitively, cognitively diverse, if I could get the words out of my mouth, diverse team, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, so. I mean, and the reason why we're, we're seeing a lot of research in teams, because we're working in teams so much more. Um, and it become, it's becoming more and more important to design teams with processes that, that actually help them accomplish the task. Um, and so, Again, the traditional assessments model doesn't really work very well for that because the model there is I will create a sales profile, I'll create a driver profile, and then I'll just hire and hire and hire. Uh, whereas what we need to think about is I'm going to have a team of six people and I need at least one person who's super diligent so that they can manage process and make sure everyone stays on task. I need at least one person who's a rule breaker who can kind of cut through all the political, you know, mess in the organization and, and step on toes and get things done, right? And I need one person who maybe is really, and I'm simplifying things, right, but really agreeable and will help your, the, the team 
you know, patch over some of the discord or some of the storming phase that might that might occur in the beginning. So I think we think about it like that, we can make really high performing and high potential teams. And I guess as teams become more cross-functional as well, rather than just saying we need someone from sales, someone from finance, someone from marketing, it's, it's actually not just what they do, yeah. it's how they do it. And that's a great point because we're also, the teams are becoming more dynamic, right? So it's not just, I'm gonna create a team and now I'm gonna use this team for the next couple of years, but because people are moving around so much, it's, I'm constantly recreating and creating new teams and change is happening at an ever faster pace in organizations. So it's, I have a new initiative tomorrow and then the next day I have another big initiative yeah. and there's a fire now that has to be put out there and I'm constantly, if I can just think about the cognitive as well as the hard skills that I need, I think that would be a huge competitive advantage. So next question, we talked a little bit about the business value of assessment. So, um, but but how do organisations actually measure that? You know, and the impact not just on financials, but also culture, performance, and well-being. Is there a is there a is there a secret source to doing it? Or <laughs> I think I think I mean two answers to that question. The simple answer is assessment, and so it sounds funny because assessment and then again assessment, right? But yeah. they're different assessments, and so. If you can deploy these kinds of initiatives and then you can measure overall well-being, you can obviously measure engagement. There's a bunch of really great engagement tools. That's one of the areas in assessment that I think, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen companies like CultureAmp and, and Glint, we've seen some of, some of the, you know, great progress in, in that space. Um, and so you can measure culture and well-being and engagement and you will see an increase um, if, you, if you are properly deploying and developing talent. That said, there are also magic sauces because things like um, passive analysis of text, email sentiment, chat sentiment, those are some of the better applications for um, not AI, but natural language processing or natural language monitoring to to measure. And and you can do that pretty fast, right? And so if you've got it set up, you'll you'll start seeing increase in overall positivity and positive sentiment in the organization. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I think we, you know, you can use assessments to understand our workforce better, but we can also, as you said, use text, use use more sophisticated yeah. engagement tools to understand the impact of some of this stuff as well. Yeah, which exactly. is, which is know, super interesting. And it's a, it's a cheap, fast way of doing it, which is what you really want, because when you're, t- you're, you're selling these initiatives, you don't want to have to say, in three years from now, when you may, you know, you'll no longer be the CEO, and you probably will no longer be the CFO, uh, we'll have an increase and you know and they're looking at you and they're like yeah but I don't care I, I want to see what's happening in Q4 yeah right whereas these kinds of monitoring tools might give you dividends much faster and we you, you mentioned that you were on the the e-commerce side for a while and we, we're really just paying mark catch up with marketing really yep a thousand percent yep I think HR in a sense is too often just playing catch up with technologies <laughs> that are implemented in other industries right and so yeah these these all of these tools are far more complex levels are, are in marketing in I mean yeah you've got companies now that are that are helping websites be completely dynamic not just in advertising but in the whole UI so it's like I I come on the first time and they get a read on me which is not a personality read per se but it is a read right and then the next time I come onto the website they already know don't show me this tab don't show me the side navigation show me the top navigation etc so these are amazing technologies that we can be leveraging. Obviously, you you do some uh, teaching at NYU and some research there as well. Really helpful, I think, if you can share some of the insights from the latest research you've been doing around uh, personality and talent signals. Sure. Um, well, the main focus of our recent research has been 
passive talent signals. So understanding how we can profile people without um, without any kind of intervention or um, you know, disruption. Um, and so we've we've seen how you can use text to get a pretty good read on someone's personality. We did that on Facebook. So kind of similar to some of the stuff that we've seen in the news. We were actually doing it at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's quite impressive, and it's um, it's. The application for us in HR is obviously more using text that's internal to the organization versus social media type text. But um, but we've gotten pretty good read from, from there. We've also gotten some good reads on likes and personality. So what you like on Facebook and how that predicts um, the dark side of personality. So that's that's when you're looking at risks, right? Where do you derail? You know, where When you're stressed, where, where will we see the most um, risk, risky kind of behavior and hotspots? Um, so that has been, a, you know, a primary area of our research, um, and we've also been looking at um, adjective assessments, and that relates to our work as well. So, you know, how can we move away from uh, questions that can be that can be subject to different contexts and different interpretations and get old, and just look at, you know, if I choose different adjectives to describe myself or other people, how does that profile personality? Um, and so that research as well kind of shows that you can get a, uh, an equally as good read of the five-factor model in personality from having people identify themselves based on different adjectives, single-word adjectives, than you can by asking them you know, a long questionnaire. And for those that don't know, what the, what is the five-factor model? So the five-factor model of personality is, is probably the most science, you know, scientifically founded model of personality out there. Um, there are lots of models that are based off of it, either either lower or higher than the five primary factors, and that's ocean, essentially. So it's openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and um, neuroticism or stability. Yeah, and you've got lots, you know, lots of good models based on the five-factor model, mm. um, but in the science, when we talk about it, we're always referring to the, the five factors. The five factors. Yeah. So it's a fascinating area, looking at things like Facebook likes, and yeah. I guess this is where other other companies have got themselves into a little bit of trouble, but it's probably not from actually doing the analysis from who they sell the data to and who that and what that data is then used to do. Yeah, I think so, right? And I think again, it goes back to the trade-off, right? Do I really care if someone looks at my likes on Facebook? I know I liked it, and it's public information, right? And is it really surprising to me that someone who likes anime and nine gag and you know various other it's probably a lot more introverted. It's someone who likes sports and basketball games and rollerblading. And no, it's pretty intuitive actually that these likes um, can predict personality. So I think there's nothing inherent in the science that's, excuse me, that's surprising. Um, and the way I, I often talk to my students about it is, you know, when I come in the class in the first you know class or two, I usually give them a personality assessment. And there's a period of the ice break, which is like, mm, do I want everyone to see my personality assessment? Is it confidential? Yeah. And the reality is we're signaling our personality every day, all the time, yeah. right? So we never stop, and we do it intentionally. We want people to understand us and know us. So we're constantly giving signals as to we're trained. So it isn't a secret. Personality is actually on display all the time. Now we're learning how to quantify it to help you. Yeah. And in that sense, this research can be really valuable. So that's the, that's the trade-off that we were talking about. Yeah. I think that this is probably a topic we could do a whole podcast on, actually. Yeah. But, and and are you using some of this research in your work at Deeper Signals? It'd be interesting to know a little bit more what what you're doing there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We absolutely are. Um, our 
our, the main objective of our work is to, to make assessments more usable for development, as we were talking about, um, and make the experience more engaging and interesting so that it can be deployed at scale, so that it's actually used and to help employees um, at a much larger um, in a, you know, volume. And so our, our adjective type assessments, we're, we're focusing those, on those particular signals. I think that helps, um, that helps the whole experience of, of assessments. And as well, we're working with some organizations on the passive stuff as well. And, okay. that, and that would be um, and just looking at the data lake that organizations have and thinking about it through the lens of personality profiles. So at a high, high level, is your organization more introverted or extroverted? Yeah. Or you know, a slightly lower level, maybe regionally or functionally, you know, do you have the right personality profiles and the right teams? So those are the like two areas of the research that kind of work really well with the work that we're doing as well. And what are some of the data sources that you would use on the passive side? Email would be a, a, an ideal source. Email and chat would be an ideal source. So it's quite it's fascinating because um, you know I I do a lot of work around organizational network analysis. And the passive side of that is looking at email. It's not necessarily looking at the content, it's looking at the metadata and who sends messages to who, how strong, strong the nodes and, and, and links are and everything. This sounds like it's a bit more looking at the content, but con the content, but presumably at a company-wide level, so you're actually not specific at getting down to individual level, but you're looking, as you said, how introverted a company is. Versus. Thousand percent. It has, so it has to be anonymized, for sure, from the individual level. You're not just reading, I'm not reading someone's emails. And yeah. Hmm, this seems like that kind of person, right? Um, and even the content itself can be turned into an algorithm. So no one's actually, even the algorithm is not looking at the, the um, text. It'll first go through a sentiment analysis and it'll first go through other analyses. And then we look at the data and then we can kind of, you know, factor it into different kind of, kinds of profiles. That's fascinating yeah. stuff. Because I mean, I, I know that uh, Textio, for instance, is now being applied to email, and it's, it's helping people construct better emails, to, which I guess yeah. lends itself to some of the stuff around influencing and stakeholder management yeah. and stuff like that. Or you that. know so, the person who you are emailing, right? So then you can you can kind of coach them. Like, yeah. That's someone who needs a lot of context versus that's someone you just want to be really blunt. Really blunt with, yeah. God, it's yeah. a fascinating topic, isn't it? So. So this that leads on very nicely to to our final question that we ask every guest on the show. Um, and you can feel free to go beyond 2025 if you want. But what do you see with the role of HR will be in 2025? Okay. It's easier if you say 2050, you know, because then no one, no one will come back in 50 years and, and correct me. That's right? true. That's true. That's 2025 true. is right around the corner. It is a bit close. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, um, well, what I hope is that the role of HR in 2025 is to use the enormous amounts of data that we have to make smarter workforce and people decisions. That's what I would hope. I can say, if you ask me to predict that we'll actually get there, I, I don't think that we'll actually get there. And, and, uh, I think it moves slower than we'd like, but that's what I, I'd hope. I think that's a, you know, I'm not gonna go into you know, Terminator type, uh, you know, in 2025, it'll all be, you know, a gig economy, everyone will be working from their little pod with VR glasses and, and you know, I don't think so. I think it'll be you know somewhat similar setup to what we have today. We're moving towards a more you know employee focused or employee centric work environment. We're moving towards a more gig economy. It'll have some changes into the processes and how we hire and how we promote. But at the highest level, we have this huge opportunity to take the data that we have, turn it into personal insights, and help people. And I hope HR can actually live up to that. 
So what we probably need in HR is a little bit more courage and a little bit more vision. Yeah, a bit more disruption. Yeah, a bit more psychology, a bit less transactional, and really buy-in, right? And, and on us to get that buy-in. But we, we always end up at the mercy of how much is the organization willing to invest in the initiatives we come up with. And so we have to really sell that strategic value in the plans that we have and why it's important that we get that buy-in. Fantastic. Well, Ari, thank you very much for coming and being a guest thank on you. the show. My pleasure. How can people stay in touch with you via social media and, and also learn about the stuff you're doing at Deeper Signals? Sure, absolutely. Well, you can um, you can LinkedIn is probably the best way to get in touch with me. So it's it's Uri Ort, U-R-I-O-R-T on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter. And so you can find me on Twitter um, and email as well. If you go to my website, deepersignals.com, you can email me. Perfect. Well, thank you very much again. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe by your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest learning and news on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my newsletter there too. That's all for this week, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Katie Gray on how gender pay analysis has helped catalyse change at Arup. So don't miss that one. See you next time.